from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. It was a weekend of chaos, contradictions, and mixed messages from officials about Donald Trump's health as the president continued his coronavirus treatment at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. We'll get the latest with New York Times Washington correspondent Michael Schmidt. Then Proposition 14 on the November ballot would authorize $5.5 billion in bonds to be issued for a state stem cell research institute to fund research seeking cures for a myriad number of afflictions. Voters had approved $3 billion toward this back in 2004, but the money has dried up. We'll get the details of Prop 14 and hear from both sides. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Trump is back to tweeting in all caps today as he continues treatment for coronavirus at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Yet many questions still remain about his health. Yesterday, White House physician Sean Conley admitted he had put a rosy spin on the president's condition the day before. But many details about Trump's treatment and the timeline of his diagnosis remain murky. And later that day, despite being sick and contagious, Trump left in a motorcade to greet supporters, potentially endangering the Secret Service and other staff. A decision will be made later today whether to release the president, according to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And just in this morning, news that White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany has become the latest Trump aide to test positive for coronavirus. Joining us to make sense of all this, Michael Schmidt, Washington correspondent with The New York Times and author of a new book called Donald Trump v. the United States, Inside the Struggle to Stop a President. Michael Schmidt, good to have you with us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess uh, under normal circumstances, we talk about your book, and it is an important book in terms of the stories it tells, especially about Comey and McGahn. But there are big questions that are looming that I really want to get to with you. And uh, one is the contradictory nature of the messaging on the president's conditions with COVID, and the other is the timeline on the disclosure of the diagnosis. So let's talk first about the nature of the messaging. Uh, on Saturday, we were hearing from Mark Meadows uh, of real concern about the president's vitals and the lack of, uh, shall we say, confidence in um, what could happen over the next 48 hours. And then the next day, we were hearing from his doctors a uh, much rosier picture and that he might be back at work today. What do you make of this? I mean, in many ways, it's not surprising, but nevertheless shocking. This is an administration from day one that's had a demented relationship with the truth. They haven't been forthcoming about so many different things. So it should be of no surprise that at this important juncture, one of the most important ones in the entire presidency with, I mean, you know, the president's political fortunes on the line, his health in question, that we're not getting a full picture. As you can see, the narrative seems to change every day. It seems like we find out the day after what was really going on the day before when we were told something else. And to sort of encapsulate it all, in my book, I write about a November 2019 visit that Trump took to Walter Reed. It was a very unusual visit. The president had said that he was there to start his yearly physical. 
you have to understand everything that the president needs to be done for his physical is at the White House in the medical centers there. But he went there in the middle of impeachment on a Saturday. And as I report in the book, the vice president in the lead up to that trip was told to be on standby in case they had to put the president under anesthesia. That is not normal things for a yearly checkup. There's also a lot in your book, of course, about people who went against the president and made him furious. And apparently he's fury, quite furious at Mark Meadows, at least the way it's been reported. Uh, there's also, in addition to the secrecy and the contradictions, uh, there's also that whole question of that drive-by in a hermetically sealed SUV uh, the, just the other night uh, with a couple of Secret Service uh, members of the Secret Service who were exposed clearly to the president, even though they were wearing N95 masks. And this just seemed by many people's reckoning to be even more reckless, given President Trump's track record of recklessness, plus the exposure. And I want to get into that with you, the exposure of so many when probably he knew he had a diagnosis uh, from one of those quick diagnostic tests at the White House. Let's talk about the timing of it. The, um, there's a lot in the timing of this that does not make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense about when the president first knew that he may have this, when he was tested, what these tests said. Did he know on Wednesday he went to a fundraiser at Bedminster? Did he know at that point that he might be sick? How was he feeling? All of these questions in the timeline, there's been very little clarity on. And part of the problem is this notion coming out of the White House that they need to provide an upbeat message, even if it's not true, because they need to convince the patient that he might be okay. That is essentially what they have said about why the narrative has changed. And that's just a, a shocking thing on a matter um, in which the American public, I think regardless of your party, um, expects to have a clear and authoritative view of the president's health. And yet, uh, Michael, this has been a pattern with American presidents going all the way back to FDR. I mean, so the argument goes. They try to put a spin on it. In fact, uh, President Trump told Bob Woodward he didn't want to panic people, so he put a positive spin on coronavirus. Uh, but uh, I'm just mentioning history here for a moment because uh, FDR certainly hit his infantile paralysis and problems with, uh, well, not being able to get out of a wheelchair. Uh, I killed, that is Eisenhower hit his heart problem. Uh, JFK hit his back problem. I mean, this is a pattern with American presidents to some degree, isn't it? No, it is. It is. President, you know, it seems like with every uh, major president, there's something years, uh, years later that we learn about their health. And um, in this case, we are sort of learning in, in a day delay about the fact that this information is inaccurate. But look, there's still still questions. As I was pointing out about this November 2019 trip that Trump took to Walter Reed, we still don't know why he went there. We don't know what it was, why he truly went there. And on issues like health and the president, it's sort of over time, over history, journalists and historians are able to chip away at what those issues are. You also have with President Trump the very unusual sort of behavior. Uh, I mean, that's maybe putting it mildly to be sure, but uh, about wanting to appear invincible and strong and, and macho and all the rest of that. Uh, and I mention that only because 
the president has a pattern going back to the campaign when his doctor said that he, no president in history had been as strong or as able as Donald Trump. And, you know, there were a lot of bad jokes about uh, did this doctor examine Benjamin Harrison or Zachary Taylor and so forth. Uh, but the reality was that the, the doctor seemed to be speaking what president what the president wanted him to say that is the president almost a ventriloquist uh, in some way uh, highlighting the president's strengths in ways that were frankly hyperbolic and exaggerated uh that's been a pattern of the trump presidency from the get-go so do you think these doctors for example even though they may have been duty bound to follow their commander-in-chief and to say what the patient wanted them to say were just essentially parroting what trump was putting in their mouths well i i think that in it's there's a phenomenon in the Trump presidency that the president's unprecedented use of power and his behavior leads the people around him to have to make a choice. Will they go along with him or not? The president is essentially a human MRI machine. And this is what I write about in my book. It's about how the president's actions force the people around him to react in a highly unusual way. And are they going to go along with what the president wants or are they going to be obstacles to the president? And this is just all the more remarkable because of this. In American history, we've focused on how our presidents use power and what that means and says about the moment. In this case, we see the people around the president being forced to choose about whether they will try and stop him. And whether it is the doctors now trying to accommodate the fact that the president does not want accurate information out there about his health, or whether it was Jim Comey in the first few months of the presidency in which they were, in which the president was asking him to do things that Comey was never going to do in regards to FBI investigations into Trump and his associates. It is the same story. And how willing or unwilling are you to I, uh, I think we just got a disconnect there with Michael Schmidt. Uh, he was just talking about what we've been talking about, which is um, essentially concern about the latest uh, news on the president's health. And uh, who rem he remains hospitalized, of course, with the coronavirus at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. I think we have you back, Michael Schmidt. Back, back in action. Yeah, I heard a glitch there and I was getting some responses from listeners. Uh, and I'd like to ask you. Uh, to react to a couple of these, if you would. Malcolm writes, I was reminded that Trump's brother died recently and the cause is yet to be revealed. But also, word from Jim, one of our listeners, who says, I heard that Trump has been given a dose of steroids that is usually only given to people who are critically ill with COVID. With the addition of steroids, shouldn't we be worried about his already frail mental condition? Uh, I think that's an important question because he is on steroids. He's on uh, dexamethasone. Uh, and this is usually only prescribed in pretty serious conditions are giving him a cocktail of a lot of different things. But uh, in fact, he's on uh, remdesivir too, which is supposed to be only a five-day uh, program. Uh, and one wonders how he's going to go back to the White House um, with, with five days of administering of that drugs. In other words, sorting out these facts has become kind of a major challenge. Uh, and it's very difficult because things are so murky and so contradictory. I mean, you are highlighting the problem here when there's not accurate information coming out and information is coming out piecemeal, then it leaves the public to try and put together what is really going on here and what is it that 
what is the true status of the president's health? And for example, you're trying to do that in your question here. It's like, well, he's on this, he's on that. What does that say? Is it more serious than it is? And what we're trying to do in that, and the Times wrote about this today, it's that the, the medicine that he's being given looks like it's something far more serious than what the White House is leaving on. And it leaves this vacuum for us in the media or the public to try and understand the president's health by putting it together like armchair doctors. Let me read a tweet from yet another Michael who says, all I care about really is whether the president is alive or dead. Communicating the weakness of the president only benefits our adversaries. Um, Thank you for that point, Michael, uh, in a tweet. Uh, We've got just about less than a minute here left. Uh, How do you think this is all going to play out in terms of the Supreme Court confirmation? You've got two members of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate who have COVID, and you have another senator who has COVID. Going to continue as planned? I think that for the confirmation to uh, to go through, everything needed to line up perfectly for the Republicans. They had a really good shot at it, but everything needed to line up. Now, there is an entirely new factor at play with the virus and the fact that members of the Senate Judiciary Committee have that. And whenever you introduce a variable like that, it just increases the chances that it's not going to go. I'm going to have to leave it there, Michael Schmidt. Good to have you with us. Appreciate your being with us. And again, Michael Schmidt's book is called Donald Trump v. the United States Inside the Struggle to Stop a President. We'll be back in 60 Seconds on Prop 14. I'm Michael Krasny.